Welcome to Kingdom.Think. So we are starting the new book of Deuteronomy. And, you know, we're in the Old Testament. A lot of people don't read the Old Testament. Why? Because they consider it boring. But it's really full of so much life. And if you really want to um, watch the life of the Israelites, why? Because in a way, they were like, okay, remember when the people were corrupt and God flooded the land and destroyed all mankind because there was evil. Well, he promised he would never do that again. So in a way, he's using the Israelites kind of like like a like a weapon or an instrument of judgment to the to the evil, to the evil ones or and and to be an example of how um it's like God is using them as a vessel to teach through them so that we can all see how things unfold, consequences, sin nature, um, good-hearted people, that kind of stuff. So they are really a representation of a role of how we, what we are to do and not to do. So the book of Deuteronomy is written by Moses. And a lot of it is he's, he's kind of rehearsing the history of what's happened in the last 40 years as they've been traveling through the wilderness. So he's giving them his final words before they enter into the promised land. Now, Moses is not going to go into the promised land. He's aware of that, but he is preparing them and reminding them. And so I believe that he's he's summarizing the past so that these people can tell the stories centuries further, like tell the next generations. So in chapter one, he's summarizing. um, Oh, by the way, this is around 1400 BC. Um, Yeah. Okay. So chapter one, he kind of summarizes where they're located currently. And then starting at around verse nine, he goes into explaining the history of when Moses was very burdened with all the people and all the problems. And God said, okay, Let's get organized. Let's find some leaders among the different tribes, the different people, the families. And so he kind of goes into detail how that was done. Then he goes into detail about when he sent the spies out and what they discovered when they went into the promised land. He also went into detail about when they rebelled against God. And that's at the time when God said, okay, I told you guys not to, to do that. You rebelled. And for that reason, all of you people are not going to get to go to the promised land. The next generation will be allowed to go into the promised land, but your hearts were hardened from being slaves in Egypt. Therefore, you will not be entering to the promised land. So he explains that in chapter one, goes over that story. Then in chapter two, um, let's see. Oh yes, they're still wandering. So here again is like a summary of their wandering in the in the wilderness and how they have to pass certain tribes and God tells them which groups of people they that they go past that he doesn't want them to provoke. Don't provoke Esau's descendants to a, to a war because God had given Esau a promise. Don't provoke um the Moabites. So God fulfilled his promises of the people of the past. So he's sending the Israelites past them, but he says, but you can't touch them. You can't have any of their land. I will tell you specifically which land you can have. And then towards the end of chapter two, that's exactly what he does. He prepares the land that they're going to go into and, um, and which land they're going to 
take over and defeat. So as we move into Deuteronomy, you're going to see them defeating a lot of lands and destroying a lot of peoples, like annihilating the the fighting men or the men, the women and the children. And, and our heart would be like, gosh, why is that? That's not, that's not very nice. No, it, it's not very nice. But when sin is pervasive in that land and the people are just evil to the heart, they need to be destroyed. And so he's using the Israelites to destroy that land and that people. Um, in addition to that, he can't have these people still surviving because if the Israelites go in there, they will... Um, do the things that they do, worship those pagan gods, etc. So that's what happens in Deuteronomy's chapters one and two. Now we're moving on to Psalms eight. Now here in the this Psalms, the people are crying out to God, and this is kind of a solemn chapter. They're desperate. But remember, I always think of it as a cycle. The Israelites have God's favor, God's shining his mercy upon them, he's showing favor. They take it for granted. They start, their heart gets ungrateful and um, they start sinning and worshiping idols. And then they, and then God turns away from them because they're so, their life is so full of sin. God turns away from them. He's no longer, his, his face is not shining upon them. And then the evil just becomes so heavy that they're so heavy burdened that they cry out to God. And he hears their cry because God always hears their cry, not necessarily in the time that they want because he's not this uh, genie in a bottle, but he will when their heart is really repentful. So he, he waits till their heart is really transformed, but they cry out to God and then um, he hears their cry and then he turns to them again with his mercy and his grace and goodness happens again, and blessings happened, happens to them again, and then good times happen again. So in this Psalms chapter 80, they're actually at the point where they're crying out to God. So their land has been invaded, and they're crying out to God. And so that's why it sounds very um, sorrowful, as if God's not paying attention, but he is. He's waiting for their heart changes, true repentance. And that's the same thing with us. He Sometimes it's like, we want God fix this problem in my life and it he doesn't do it right away and maybe something we need to change in our own heart so instead of just like why isn't God doing what I asked he's not listening to my prayers he is listening but he's waiting for us to change our heart so we need to kind of go inside and say where am I harboring sin where am I harboring resentment or unforgiveness um, where have I not surrendered so in chapter eight of, I mean, chapter eighty of Psalms, they have not surrendered yet. So it's, I'll just read a little bit because I've been explaining so much here. Hear us, shepherd of Israel! You held, you led Joseph like a flock. You who sit enthroned between the cherubim and the blah blah blah, awake your might, come and save us. Now we're in verse three. Restore us, O God, make your face shine on us, that we may be saved. How long, Lord God Almighty, will you anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears, you have made them drink tears by the bowlful bowlful. You have made us an object of dis- derision to our neighbors. So clearly he's saying, God, you did this. You you've left us crying in our tears. 
clearly their heart is not transformed yet. Wouldn't you agree? Um, so he goes through this all the way down. And at the very end, restore us, Lord God Almighty, make your face shine on us that we may be saved. So I don't think their heart has changed yet. But um, I don't think that their heart has changed yet. You can read it and decide for yourself. But they're still crying out to God in chapter 80 of Psalms. Okay, moving on to the New Testament. Now, we're in the book of John. John, And you know I love the book of John because it's just so rich and it's so powerful. Now, the chapter 12 is huge. <laughs> um, so, it's pretty big. And it's when Jesus... So, first of all, the first part of this chapter, Jesus goes into Bethany. Remember, he raised Lazarus from the dead. So, people are coming in to see what's going on? Um, how did Lazarus get raised from the dead? So now the Pharisees, Pharisees are seeing these people kind of drawn to Jesus because of Lazarus being raised from the dead. So they're irritated. They're like, this is getting out of hand. We're going to have to kill. Now they're plotting to kill not only Jesus, but Lazarus. Lazarus. Lazarus? How do you pronounce his name? Lazarus. So yes, um, and there's the little story about um, Mary washing. Is it Mary? Yes. Mary wash, taking her perfume, very expensive perfume, and washing Jesus' feet with the perfume and her hair. And it was Judas who actually brought it to the attention. I never realized that. So he says, we always know that someone said to Jesus, hey, shouldn't we be using, shouldn't she be selling that oil and giving it to the poor as if it was, um, as if it was a good thing, as if he really cared about the poor, but it was actually Judas who said it. He was the money keeper and he wasn't saying it because he cared about the poor. Um, he had a, a, a heart of, um, he was the keeper of the money bag and he used to help himself to what was put in it. Isn't that wild? Did not know that. Okay. But Jesus told him she saved this perfume for a burial day, which I never caught that before. The perfume for the day of my burial. Interesting. So even her doing that was a sign. Did she know? I don't know. Okay, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Okay, um, but I never noticed that sign before that that perfume was used for burial. Was she giving like a foreshadow, a forethought of what's actually going to happen and no one saw it? Um, okay, so people are starting to gather around Jesus and then Jesus comes into Jerusalem Oh my goodness, the people are starting to think, yes, he, he must be the Messiah. So this is why they started putting the palms down and Jesus got on the donkey to fulfill what was said in the book of Isaiah about him going in as a donkey. Um, not as a donkey. Oh my gosh, that is too funny. I was reading something right here and <laughs> Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it was written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See that your king is coming, seated on a donkey, a donkey's colt. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and can you imagine the disciples watching all this happen? 
They didn't understand what was going on. They must have been kind of tripping. Okay, um, people are gathering around. Jesus predicts his death. Oh, this is good. I have to read this because we are in the book of John and it's going to be, it, you just, again, you can't summarize what Jesus says. The hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. That is so good. That is so golden. Because a lot of times we hear people say, you have to die to yourself, which is true. But what do we mean? Or you must so what are we supposed to do? Hate our life? We're supposed to lose our life? Well, he says it in such a great parable right here. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But as you know, when a seed falls to the ground, the seed must burst open inside the ground, which we don't see, but the seed breaks open and out of it produces a crop, a fruit, so good. So when you hear that verse repeated, that we must die, um, he, he who hates their life in this world will keep it in eternal. Just remember, remember that vision of the seed bursting open, producing fruit. We get to do that. So when we die to our sinful self, or when we let go and we surrender our our pride nature, our resentment nature, our sin nature, our anger, our hate, that ego side of us, when we die to that, then we can wholeheartedly serve Jesus and follow him. And Jesus is giving a perfect example of saying, can you just die to the ego so that you can produce fruit and bless others? And um, so good. Okay, so then... Jesus cries out, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. I read, heard that first before, and if I felt like Jesus was showing a, weak, a weakness, which is okay because he's in human form. But then if you read further, it says, a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and it will glorify it again. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it and said that it was thundered. Others said that an angel had spoken to him. But here's the part that I wanted to read. Well, of course, that part, because that's God speaking. <laughs> but Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world Satan is the prince of this world, will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all my people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So God, Jesus wasn't necessarily showing a sign of weakness, but he was starting, starting a dialogue. He started a dialogue that the people could hear. And then, the, and then God from heaven replied so that the people could hear and see. So good. Um, and then he talks about the light, how he is the light. Believe in the light, which is Jesus. You know, God is everywhere. Yes, God is light. But, but God is also this, what you feel, what you sense. 
this presence that's in every cell of your body that is God. But Jesus is the light, like he is like um, a lighthouse. Yes, the when you're out at sea and the sun is out, everything is easy to see. You can see the land, you can see other ships coming. But when it's darkness, when light, when life gets dark, Jesus is that lighthouse. But even when it's bright, you can still see the lighthouse and it's still where your target is. So you always want to be focusing on that light, like a lighthouse, in the darkness and in the daylight. Um, and then he goes on to, okay, so then after he spoke this and he talked about the light, about he is the light, he's telling the people, you got to understand this. He said, look, I've come onto this earth so I could be the light because these are humans. We need to be able to follow something. Remember the Israelites, they needed something to see because they're human. And that's why they were following, they kept easily being influenced by idols. And Jesus is saying, okay, stop doing that. Focus, focus, guys, I'm the light. Okay, so then he left and he removed himself and probably to get rest and because ruckus was going to start. Um, but there was still... Uh, oh my goodness, I could go on and on in chapter 12. Like I said, it's a long one. So if you're still with me, that's great. Um, but then Jesus continues down at the bottom of chapter 12. Um, yep, there was still some disbelief. And, but that was already written in the past as well, that that would happen. Okay, I'm going to read this last piece because it's Jesus speaking. Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Oh, that's so good. I wish I could just expand on that. Oh my goodness. Okay but I'm not going to because we're going to move on. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. Oh my gosh. So even though Jesus is saying his words and they don't listen and they don't believe, he doesn't judge them. For I did not come to this to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus knows his purpose on earth. His earth he came on this earth to save the world, not to judge the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them to the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just whatever the Father has told me to say. This right here is kind of a... You know how when a king gives a, dec a decree he puts his stamp, his seal on that decree. Once he puts his stamp in his seal, it is the law. It is truth. This right here on the end of, oh, I hope you lasted this long because this is good. At the end of chapter 12, Jesus puts his stamp, his seal on everything that he did on earth. He said, everything that I said, everything that I did was because the father told me to say and do. I was used as a vessel by God for you people to be the light and to teach you how to live, to draw you closer to God. This is his stamp. This is his seal. That is so good. I hope you got that. I've never seen that before and I've read this before, but it just didn't catch me in this way. That, my friends, was 
chapter 12 of John. Enjoy the read. Um, this was such a good one. Have a good day.